Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. My name is Maggie Frank, and I'll be doing the Bible reading this morning. The passage is from Galatians 5, 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For the, these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with Joel today as he brings this passage to life for us and that you would use it in our lives this coming week to make us better servants of you, better children of, our, of, of, of you, our loving Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Maggie. The reality for us is that change is hard. And so whether you are taking on a new routine, waking up earlier in the day, whether you are adjusting some of the things that you eat or drink, uh, whether it, you are uh, beginning a new activity or hobby, people often try all sorts of stuff. There are articles, uh, seven tips on how to do X, Y, or Z. Um, and people love those things, but change is hard. And uh, the company Strava that has an app that is used to help uh, log or track uh, runners or cyclists or hikers, or if you just like the outside, uh, it's a way to kind of keep track of these things. In 2019, they looked at the data of 800 million users, and they expected around New Year's Day to see a huge spike above the norm of what users uh, had been doing. And they saw that spike. It was huge. And they were tracking uh, those users to see what happens over time. How long does it take for these spikes in activity to regress closer to the norm? Uh, so you see a big jump in the change in activity. Can it last? And uh, what they found is that January 19th is the magic day. They labeled it quitter's day. Ouch. 
uh, the day that uh, it took uh, from January 1st to January 19th, so 19 days roughly for everything to regress back to the mean. And then they reported this data out with some recommendations on how they uh, think people can change. And my takeaway from that was change is hard. Now, maybe you have strategies for when something needs to change in your life. Maybe you focus on routine. Uh, you're going to set a series of alarms or keep a set of timers. Uh, you're going to uh, clamp down on time. Or maybe you turn first to technology, right? I'll download a new app or I'll buy a new device. Uh, you fill your online shopping cart with tools or aids uh, to help you change. Or maybe uh, you focus on motivation. You create a new playlist. Uh, you um, get some new gear, uh, a new pair of hiking shoes or some outdoor clothes, or uh, you buy some stuff that fits that hobby to motivate you. I'm going to go after this. Even then, with all of these things available, even if you have resources to all of this stuff, you run into the same types of challenges that change is hard. And if that's true on uh, things that we have some measure of control over, our routines or what we eat or drink or our activities, how much harder do you think it is to change our inward spiritual lives or to have a positive impact on a community full of other people that we can't and don't control? Well, Paul writes to the Galatians, to give them a sense of just how change can happen and how it can be lasting. And his answer isn't a seven steps article. Uh, it's not some new device or technology. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says for lasting change, for us to become more like Jesus Christ involves the work of God himself. It involves us for sure, but it also involves God actively working in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to consider how he unpacks that this morning in two points. First, where we come from, which will be verses 16 through 21, and where we are headed, verses 22 through 25. So where we come from and where we are headed when it comes to the dynamics of spiritual change. So when Paul is writing, he opens in verse 16, and you'll notice that he's giving a, a sense of direction. And I've included that sense of direction in the two points, where we come from and where we're headed. Uh, that's a journey for Paul in Galatians 5, spiritually speaking, that he is orienting us to. Spiritual change is like a journey. Christ-like transformation involves a process, progress, steps. And in the first century world and today, people understood walking as the slow, uh, methodical way in which you make progress forward. And so Paul picks that up. And in verse 16, he writes, I say, walk by the Spirit, that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So for, for Paul, sisters and brothers who want deep spiritual change in their lives, change that's lasting, change that doesn't run them smack into a quitter's day, it involves walking with and led by the Holy Spirit. That's how spiritual transformation takes place. And the reason for this, he unpacks in verses 17 and 18, is the dynamic at play for us spiritually. 
Spiritual change is complicated. It's hard, and it involves more than sheer willpower. For the Apostle Paul writing to the Galatians then, and for us here today, spiritual transformation cannot happen just by your own individual effort in isolation. For Paul, that's folly. And the reason why that's folly, the reason why he is clear, you're going to hit a wall with that. It's because we have forces at work that we don't control, namely our own sinful natures. Paul uses this language of flesh. And you get this sense in verses 17 and 18 that the spirit and flesh, they're at battle. There's this conflict going on. And for Paul, this isn't some dynamic of spiritual versus physical realities. This is a dynamic of uh, our old nature versus our new nature as Christians. For Paul, he understood the story that God created the world, that God created the world's good. That God created the world as physical space and physical things are good. But when sin was introduced into the world, that this had a profound effect on how people use the physical resources, space, and even their own bodies around them. This sin, failing to live up to what God had called them to do, failing to uh, be obedient to God's law. This had led people astray. And that is what we are coming from. That is where we are coming from. Our story isn't one of spiritual dualism, like, hey, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want spiritual maturity, uh, it's going to be physically uncomfortable. That's not Paul's message when he says that the spirit and flesh are in battle. What he's saying is it involves putting to death our old sinful inclinations. That's what he means by flesh the parts of us that are marred and marked by sin. And so there's a real conflict going on that requires spiritual intervention. So if you try to go to war against your own sinful nature, you will never win. Paul says in another letter that you're dead in your transgressions. And so it's the Holy Spirit. It is God himself who makes us alive uh, to lead us forward from that old place. And Paul gets more specific in verse 19 and following, he drills down. He says, hey, you want to know where you're coming from? Let me tell you. And he begins to unpack what he calls works of the flesh. And he goes through the list. The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is no way around this reality. Paul is saying that to live as if you are still in servitude to your old sinful nature he gives you some examples, gives us some examples of as a community of what that looks like. He says that's incompatible with heading a spirit-led direction. That there are things that may be going on in your life, they don't disqualify you from being or becoming a Christian. And Paul makes that clear. God's grace is free and open to all. You don't have to clean yourself up in order to become a Christian. You can't. But 
once you've turned to Jesus in faith and you have been united together with him, you can't live as if nothing has changed. It's impossible, Paul's saying. It's incompatible with inheriting the kingdom of God. You aren't living up to your name as Christian. And so he writes to give us a sense of just what those things are, a sort of vice list, a set of behaviors that we move from. And he groups them together in a variety of ways. The first three, he is talking about physical intimacy, sex. For Paul, sex is a good thing. It is a God-given thing. It's something for us as humans to enjoy in its appropriate context. But when we try to enjoy it outside of its God-given context, then things go wrong. Or if we overindulge in it in ways that God has said are wrong, then we are living in the old ways. And so Paul groups these things together, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Again, it's not saying that those physical things are wrong or not to be enjoyed. They are. And Paul says as much in other places. Rather, it's here that they aren't to be overindulged or indulged in the wrong context. He goes on from there and he talks about the ways that uh, people worship idolatry, sorcery. What are you turning to when you are afraid, when you feel out of control, when you feel like you're spiraling? Where do you go? For Paul, the right way, heading the right direction is to turn to God. Here, in the former way, it may have been sorcery or idolatry. And then the bulk of this vice list is the way in which the community relates to one another. These are community things, ways in which we interact together differently. And notice the assumption there is that you were a part of a community and that you are a part of a community if you are trying to grow spiritually. And so he writes things like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions. These are things that reveal what's going on inside of us. That battle is revealed in how we relate and love and care for one another. And so Paul focuses on this advice list when he talks about the things that we're coming out of, not just individual things, but also communal things that we have to be aware of. He says, this is what God is calling you from. This is a challenge to us to keep in mind that when we meet Jesus, when we turn to him in faith, when we are united together with him, his resurrection power is free and open for all. There's nothing that disqualifies you. But once you come into contact with it and once God pours out his spirit, you begin a spiritual journey of faith. You begin to walk away from things you once knew and head toward new things. Where we are headed, Paul outlines for us in verses 22 through 25. How do you know that you're going the right direction when it comes to your spiritual formation? Paul gives you an answer starting in verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. One of the amazing things about Christianity is that uh, not that it gives us rules to follow in all that we do. It's that it lays down markers for us. 
to understand how we can navigate every situation in life. Sometimes we just want, what am I supposed to do right here in this specific spot? But Paul is saying as a Christian, if you want to know where you're headed, it's more of a general direction. You can ask yourself in your school, kids, uh, when you're relating to your peers or when you play sports, you can ask adults in your workplace or in your relationships or in your families, as complex as they may be, you can ask yourself when you interact with strangers or neighbors, you can say, hey, is my life and are my interactions marked by love, by joy, by peace, by patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Am I marked by these things? Are these the things that I'm headed? Not that you're perfect all of the time, but it is, uh, they become like guideposts keeping you going the right way. There is a a race called the Ragnar Relay, and it is a 200-mile relay race, uh, so it stretches over a super long course, but you have 12 people and they run nonstop until the 200 miles are covered. And so as this 12 person team is working through this long, long course, you run day and night until it's complete. And oftentimes what can happen is a runner can find themselves in the middle of uh, the night running. They're tired. It's dark. They're on some country road or in some desolate place. And uh, the question inevitably comes up, am I headed the right direction? And so uh, the organizers of Ragnar Relay, they uh, use some of the resources that come in through all of the team fees to set up these large arrow signs along the 200-mile course so that when there are turns or when uh, you're at different legs of the course, you can see, am I headed the right direction? There's a Ragnar arrow, and it marks out, yeah, here's the direction you should be headed. And it serves not only to kind of orient you so you're going the right direction, but also it brings about this encouragement of like, whew, I haven't been lost. I haven't turned around. I'm not going back the other way. And for Paul, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, it's not that we perfectly in every situation live out every aspect of this fruit. And there's lots that can be said about the fruit of the Spirit. And we will look at it more in the months ahead. But what he does is he lays it down as a sense of direction, spiritual transformation arrows that help point and guide you. So that when you see the byproducts of love and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control in your relationships, you can be encouraged. Not just that you're growing spiritually, but that you're headed the right way. Notice it's not giving you uh, an imprint of how you should respond in every situation, but rather a general sense of how those who belong to the crucified Christ should live. And this helps us across time and place. The fruit of the Spirit are cross-cultural in nature. So no matter what your family of origin is, no matter what ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic position you find yourself, no matter what era collectively as a church we're in, what cultural pressures that surround us, the fruit of the Spirit are not just spiritual marking arrows, they're universal cross-cultural marking arrows for how we can live and interact with one another. So that each specific time across two millennia, Christians have worked through, are we marked by love? Are we marked by joy? Are we marked by peace? Are we headed the right direction? 
Not that they could do it on their own. Not that there was something culturally specific to them. But that God, through the power of his spirit, produces the fruit of these things, these spiritual markers in individual lives and collectively in the lives of communities. This is how God-given, Christ-accomplished, spirit-directed transformation happens. Not in isolation, but in community. Not just through self-effort, but through spirit-led walking forward. Not in perfection, but through faithfulness. So that we can turn to God's grace, to his promises, to the work of the spirit in our own lives. That's what it means to live as a Christian in the 21st century in the metro D.C. area. But it's also what it means to live as a Christian at any point, in any place. This side of the resurrected Jesus. This side of the Pentecost where the Spirit has been poured out. This side of the ascension. May God give us grace to call one another from the places in our lives that we need to move away from. And to encourage one another step by step in the journey ahead. Amen.